Thank you to Jennifer, and thank you everyone that's here. It's really a treat to be in such good company. So I just finished teaching Hamlet, so I thought I would do a poem about Claudius. Claudius is one of my favorite characters because he's such a human antagonist, villain, horrible, but I like him nonetheless. Okay. So this is called An Evening with Claudius. In the first act, he smiles and smiles, talks too much, to put at ease a family and a country, where disease falls like the ermine coat around his shoulders. In the third act, his regal beard, in sweet supplication, kisses the marble floor. I confess, I believe he means to come clean, asking but unwilling to remit the spoils of a life, a son, a kingdom, a wife. And when angels fail to rescue him, force his reign to a forgiving end, there is no choice but to commit to the cup of his own making. So in the end, when the curtain lowers and all lovers are strewn about the theater floor, like the discarded laundry in our own dens, Claudius serves us well. We are an audience relieved. Our prudence is still required. This next one is simple math. I've got twin boys that are eight, and so every evening we have math. And it's never so simple. They lean forward, feet planted firm on the cool tile beneath the table. She figures if she leans a slight fraction more, their knees might meet. This unbearable distance between them intersect in the delicate arc of the moment. But there is a shift in the room. Someone turns the radio louder. The decibel is all wrong. She is now angling to hear what he is saying. They cannot make out what the other is saying. It adds up wrong. She thinks they run perpendicular, two strangers flying off in tangent directions, connected now only at the brief moment when they leaned bravely into each other's plane. She adds up the signs, gets up from the table, forgets what simple math knows, multiply what's left to find what they had in common. The rim. Along the straight backbone of the fence, the birds drag cuttings and frayed scraps, binding blackberry with soda cap and refresh their winter's nest. Everything prepares itself for a change of season. This morning you slow-seeped chamomile with honey, her throat sore from your argument the night before, where she cried in hiccups and fell asleep with knees pressed against the door she had planned to leave through. It is understood you mean to forget entire the night's tragic scene and sit side by side sipping at the porcelain rim of marriage. You watch the slow, deliberate weaving of the plump-bellied robin lace your fingers through the cup's handle. So this is cold. Dark this thing between us, warm ash caressing our lungs, long after fathers, uncles, grandfathers rose up from the cold earth's embrace. When young, my brothers and I donned hard hats, hid the rich treasure in secret places, in toys, under laundry. We knew the possibility, coal if compressed makes a diamond, if one is patient. We squabbled over who would be the mine superintendent. The youngest, I coveted this position. My father's father only had an eighth grade education. He worked up the ranks 
and held this job so I knew, despite what my brother said, it was possible. Now we live far removed from the mine that produced that coal. We rarely get our hands dirty, but these lumps we keep on shelf or desk leave a fine silica dust on us nonetheless. I pick it up, feel its weight, dense, cold, black. I see it sparkle with all its possibilities, born on the backs of those who loved us and bore these burdens out. Here, look at your hands. They glow like firelight. I have a new poem that I just finished this morning and normally that's a bad idea to read something that you just finished. Hopefully you won't mind. This is called Hard Deposits. Little could surprise her by the end of that winter, few reasons to fall on one's knees weeping. So when the clinic called, informing the wife her husband was having a heart attack, the wife asked only, to which hospital are you sending him? The nurse cautioned, get someone to drive you, honey. You don't want to crash. Calling her mother to come watch the children, the wife quickly inventories, wallet, phone, insurance card, a stack of papers to grade. It was the end of the semester, and students were regularly sending desperate pleas for more time, extra credit. She had to carefully weigh their commitment and the depths of their despair, and whether attached the college's poorly staffed crisis number to the bottom of her emails. She adds water, granola, to her book bag knowing the long wait ahead and how quiet the halls of a hospital late at night. She would drive herself. When her mother answers the phone, there's the, oh God, the emotion seems unnecessary. Like when her brother's tumor was found or her father's cancer, the crying was wasted energy. She wonders, was this the response the nurse expected? The pastor calls, asks if he can pray for the husband she wonders, how does God decide which prayers to answer? She pictures him with a red pen, correcting, offering little advice. <laughs> Finally, the surgeon, who's pulled an all-nighter, looks spent but confident. Her husband got there in time, a stent, no permanent damage, he predicts. The wife feels the dizzying rush of sudden blood, steadies. Sure, she is grateful either for science or God, but suspects there is damage. There where the CT scan can't see, behind the fragile scaffold of love's efficiency. Conversations I imagine with my sons, tucking them in at bedtime. Someday, someone will fail you, pull from your pull toward forgive, and tear like the fragile foliage of the backyard's line of maples, crooked from last year's early storm, when trunks laden with rust and golden tufts of color doubled over in the early snow. That October, snowbound lovers romanticized the bright leaves encased in white were the wild strands of a lover's hair floating in a tub of warm suds. You will know how it was that spring the trees, the trees looked shorn in half their former height. They could not right themselves. And the six days without heat or electricity, except for that which bodies made beneath the heavy quilts, became memory. 
Concerned about the maples, neighbors splurged, heaped bags of expensive fertilizer at their base. But come the fall, they knew they'd been swindled. It was the same old shit. The fall dropped early, its scant fists of color. They raked across the gravel drive, leaves ripped and scattered. When I show you the photos took of that October's blizzard, you will see the flaming orange hope for love in the tree's upturned palms, spilling from too soon shift in season, and know to let go. I feel like I should end with something happier. I'm not sure I have. Uh... <laughs> How far back do I have to go? <laughs> All right, I don't know if it's happy, but um, maybe you'll think it's a little funny. This is called Little Red. What was it that drew you into the forest with your red trail bobbing like the bright feathered breast of spring's first robin? What sent you black forested to your grandmother's door, wanting to put pounds on her and cater to appetite? Was it that she had grown thin, slunk down into herself, lost her bulk during the long winter? Did you think to ask why your mother sent you out to the forest alone, knowing what was possible, what lurked there in the underbelly of a flower's delicate petal? Was it that grandmother loved you best? But again, mother warned you, didn't she? Oh, why the wine its fragile glass decanter? Why the sweet layers of icing on the cake? Dear, beware of the company you keep. Trades are made at the corner of a blanket, deals cemented in the drowsy rhythm of sleep.